producer said to me, Ronnie, he said, the suits upstairs want to know, they want to know, will there be bad language in the podcast? <laughs> I'm f***ed if I know, I told him. But I should imagine that's likely. <laughs> Some of the listeners will get a bit touchy, that's all, he said. <laughs> well, we'll get letters. I said, well, if they post them now, they might arrive in time for the Christmas special. <laughs> and, and what about the booze, he asked. Will, will you be rambling on drunk? Well... I've only nearly spat out my Campari, I don't mind telling you. <laughs> the ramblings are given, obviously. But it's like the man doesn't know me. I said, will I be drunk? Will I be drunk? Why the f*** else would I not know how much f***ing swearing there's going to be, you silly b This week on the Pegging Pegcast... Yeah, if it wasn't for the close-up we had... He could basically no. be drawing cocks on that board and I wouldn't know. Absolutely. <laughs> and I remember laughing out loud to it as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old. Right. And that was the point where Molly Sugden said the word titties. And I remember <laughs> laughing out loud to, at this. Alright, hello and welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. And I'm Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about the telly. Yes, hello and thank you for joining us on a casual cultural critique of vintage television where Britain's best love battle axe is never far from our minds because here all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyManPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we take our marks, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, a rather cheeky little Shiraz at the moment called Jam Shed. It's absolutely lovely. It's like... Being spoon-fed raspberry jam, it's marvellous. I had some of that a couple of months back. It is very, very nice. Very rich. It is very nice. Oh, it's it's delicious. What about yourself? Uh, I am on the Hobgoblin. Oh, <gasps> nice. Which will nice. do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, actually, before, before we uh, take our marks, I've got a letter here. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear this letter. Right. <clears throat> here we go. <clears throat> Dear Father Peg and Monsignor Mount... I've been a fan of your podcast for many days now, and my enjoyment is only marred by your apparent aversion to discussing ecclesiastical television of the past. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the famous 1983 episode of Songs of Praise, where Harry Seacombe is visible in the congregation, booming loudly along in a wig, glasses, false nose and a playful smirk. What's most amusing about this, of course, is that almost no one has noticed that in the pew directly behind him are Fred and Rosemary West staring directly into the camera as they sing along with equal volume and vigour. If you could cover this on a future show, I'd be eternally grateful. Yours, the very Reverend Richard Coleman from the Chichester Church and Chit Chat Chapter. Well, your Reverend, uh, many thanks for that. We'd love to give you our sort of verdict on Songs of Praise. Love to give it a thorough going over. Unfortunately, we can't get the rights to broadcast clips on that particular episode. Funnily enough, it's not a BBC thing. It's a, it's a legal issue with the West Estate written into their wills. It's not helpful to podcasters. In fact, it's probably one of the most unreasonable things they've ever done. But thank you. 
And with that, it's time to move on to the first of today's calculations. Yes, think of a number. The popular science series written and presented by Bristolian mathematician Johnny Ball. Uh, he started out presenting Play School and Play Away for much younger audiences, then turned his hand to his love of maths and science, packaging them into a show for primary school age kids. Think of a Number was created in 1977 for BBC One, morphed over the years into the series Think Again, Think Backwards, Think This Way and Think It, Do It. This particular episode is from September 1979, where Johnny ploughs through a range of subjects in his own inimitable style. In a beautiful pair of slacks as well. <laughs> they are amazing, aren't they? And a medallion. Is he? Do you think at any point he did an episode on the amount of static generated by his trousers and what that could be used to power? Power in the lights on the set. <laughs> Which, to be fair, the set of this programme is uh, amazing. You know what? I remember being fascinated by it. I've got to say, I do love programmes where someone comes through a door onto the set at the very start. Literally a stage entrance. I love that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed. What fascinated me was you couldn't see the joins in the doors. So at any point, he could just put his hand to the wall and then like open a small door or a big door or double doors or whatever, and something would be just pulled out. And it'd be something different every week. Loved that. Loved that. It was highly entertaining for me. That is down to a good lighting technician. It is and it's not, because the lighting technician fails, or is it the lighting technician's fault? Because if at the beginning of this episode, Johnny Ball begins by calculating various ways we can get to the sum of 28 oh, using differential. I, I love that we... Listener, dear, we watch these separately, and we make our notes separately. We don't, you know, we're not doing this live. But it never ceases to amaze me how we pick up on exactly the same points. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he, he comes out. He's he's making an entrance like he's walking into a wrestling ring at the start of that. Goes up to kid in the audience. He's like, "Right, you. How many sevens are in twenty eight? And the lad's like, four. He goes, "Very good. Now you, girl next to him. How many fours are in twenty eight? And she goes, "Johnny, mate, I'm just here to watch a show. How about you do the fucking numbers, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He then proceeds to write said calculations on a board, which you can't, can't see. see it. <laughs> You can't see it. The guy doing the spotlight, which they do use a, a roving spotlight in studio, he's blinded this out. The, the marker is a thick black marker, but it's the light is so intense, it's like he's writing in invisible ink. I don't know how much of that is down to sort you know the way the um the footage is degraded over the years, but yeah, it's not fantastic. I'm basically just taking it as read that what he's saying out loud is right because I can't see what he's drawing. Yeah, yeah, if it wasn't for the close-up we had... It could basically no. be drawn cocks on that board and I wouldn't know. Absolutely. <laughs> when he's doing that and he does the, mm. the exaggerated sort of voice, is that meant to be Magnus Pike? No, I don't think so. Because the thing with Magnus was he waved his arms about an awful lot and when there was got, none of that going on. Johnny got... He gets sort of very animated doing it and it feels like he's doing an impression... And I can't think who it would be of. Magnus is the only person I can think it might be of. Obviously, in 79, that would have been like, yeah, you know, that would have been kind of current. You don't have to explain who it is. Everyone knows. I don't think these were really made to be watched to 40-odd years later, to be fair. But, yeah. No. No, certainly not. Um, but isn't Johnny fantastic? Well, I'm going to go with the popular... And this, this, is, this whole saying, in fact, 
this whole ideal has been kicked about for a few years now. If Johnny Ball had been my teacher at school, I would have been better at maths and I would have enjoyed maths. Uh, that's been flogged to death, that thing. And you know, But there is an element of truth in it, I have to say. He did make maths and science fun. I found maths... I, in fact, I loathed, I hated maths at school. And there are kids <laughs> out there who do like it. Uh, I hated it because I could, just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I looked at these numbers and went, that means nothing to me uh-huh. whatsoever. Oh, Science Vienna. bored the tits off me completely. So I watched this and it was presented in such an entertaining way... I was damned interested. This is the thing. He's he's a natural teacher and a storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's enthusiastic. Yes. He never speaks down to his audience. Never. I think the only downside of that is that his enthusiasm sort of tips over into excitability. Um, yeah, it does a little. Because mm-hmm. he does this sort of mathematical sleight of hand at the start, and that's great. And then he just bang, he's straight into cryogenics, and then bang, he's into air pressure. The audience is just I know. bombarded with this barely linked information rather than having like a sort of a memorable structured lesson. And it's fine, it's TV, it's not a lesson lesson. He's really, really getting the most out of the runtime there. He's crammed a lot into it. He has. But I am sitting there again, it's probably as a as a television show, it probably wasn't commissioned thinking that the audience were gonna be in their 40s, watching with a beer in their hand, not wanting to think about numbers. That's fine. No, no. Um, no but, you know, I'm like, okay. it's, ooh, if I was uh, if I was paying more attention, this would be right up my alley. It's great, but can we just make things, just do things without numbers? More theoretical science where you just like... I mean, uh, can you think about the poor set hand? Where mm. he, he's basically just walked up with some set hand and he's gone, right, Terry, I need a big bag of peanuts. Oh, and I need two hundred and fifty small bottles of fizzy lemonade with white tops. In about half an hour, the yeah. audience, the audience coming in now. Do that, yeah. Cheers, bye. You know, yeah. What the fuck? He's just written that literally half hour before they went on air. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, and by the way, four hundred <laughs> balloons when you got a second. Yeah. Mind this is the other thing as well. It's I think this is this thing about his excitability. It sort of rubs off onto the kids a bit. These are if me and you would like been taken to a television show while we were in school we'd have been like on our best behavior wouldn't they yes who are the absolute bastards in the audience that just start popping the balloons the minute they fall down from that net oh don't 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 constant bang 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 i nearly took me tv down Uh and put it on the lawn and set fire to it because Uh yeah you're right constantly popping the, the damn balloons and it might have been breaking character a little Beloved Johnny, <laughs> turn around like, can you fucking not? Uh-huh. <laughs> they, they might have. I would have applauded. They might have done that and like edited it out. I don't know. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Um, I must admit, it's nice to see them animated though, because at the beginning we do get some audience shots and they look absolutely bored out of their mind. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know how long they've been sitting in there. You know what television studios are yeah. like. It's not. It's not really a hub of activity. Un- well. Not for the audience, not until the cameras actually mm-hmm. start rolling and there's a take, but... Yeah, 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 agreed. Loved a bit on cryogenics, mind. Um, that, to me, as a... as a Well, I, w- I would have been six when this was aired, uh, but cryogenics, I knew of that word... Yeah. ...because of Doctor Who. Yes. Um, I would have been very excited to have heard about cryogenics in a programme dedicated to maths, because that just takes away... The, the the dusty, dull shite. You know what I mean? 
But wouldn't it have been better as an entire episode? Rather yeah, than just like a course. little a sort of a six minute segment in one. You're like, do the entire show on freezing Walt Disney's head and bringing it back to life. Come on, Johnny. Come on, do your job, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. You sort of get the impression he's that hyper all of the time and that's the most they can like tie him down to any one subject. Those six minutes, that's the most focused he's mm. gonna be at all. Fantastic. True enough. True he's enough. Um, yeah, yeah. Johnny's a keen amateur golfer, of course. And uh, uh-huh. I remember that famous interview on Parkinson in the early eighties, uh, with not with Johnny but with Prunella Scales. She was uh, she was on complaining that she'd been playing against him. She couldn't get started. Every time she went to take a swing, he'd start explaining the physics of golf balls with such exuberance that she missed a tee. Yeah, um, we zip through, we zip through, we zip through, and then we get to the hover chair, which is just ridiculous. Um, it's marvelous. I wasn't too keen on. It's absolutely what? marvelous. Where the hell does that come from? Again, he's turned around well. probably on the morning of filming and gone. By the way. I want this bank of seats here to be able to float out on a hovercraft. And they're like, what? We, we've made you a one out of a deck chair and perspex, like you asked. He's like, yes, that's for the first bit. I want an entire bank of these seats to come out so I can terrify <laughs> some kids. Are we going to tell the kids on the way in? Nope. Are we, uh, well, Johnny, what about the risk assessment? Fuck the risk assessment. Make that bank of chairs come out. Yeah. I'm yeah. watching it. Is there... There's like sort of a dozen terrified children, well, half terrified, half excited, being pushed around a studio on this like floating wooden construct. It's, you can see like the the air cable coming into it that no one's noticed on the way in because they thought, oh, it's a television studio, it'll be fine. And I'm like, would this? Would you be allowed to do this now? Would you be allowed to just be like, here, you, come here. And all of a sudden Not the kids, a years. Are, you know, those kids aren't wearing seatbelts. Uh-huh. You know, oh, there'd be documents needed to be signed and all kind. No, it, it's, no, no it, way with that. We're very, very lucky that you know this episode isn't the famous bloodbath one that never got broadcast. So, think of a number. Tell you what, mate. You think of a number. How many pegs would you put on the line? Think of a number. Get seven. Fair play. Fair play. Six out of nine for me. Six for you. Seven. It's got to be. It's got to be up there because it was. It was. It served its purpose. It ticked every box that it set out to do. It's fantastic. I just, an idea. I'd like it to be a little more focused. Mm-hmm. My in my I don't know my memory again. I was watching it as a child, so maybe mm-hmm. you sort of need that. You know, you can't come to this stuff as an adult. I don't know what adults were making of it at the time when it was first broadcast. Um, I'd mm. like it to be a little more. Oh, not educational. It's too educational. If anything, I'd just like it to slow the fuck down a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's but yeah, fair. you know, I think it's a respectable six. I think there were probably better episodes, that's all. Uh, question is, how many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? I can do it in three. Ah, go on then. Johnny Ball was in a 1980 episode of Record Breakers, hosted by the inimitable Roy Castle, who starred in Carry On Up the Kyber with... Charles Hawtrey, who also appeared in the 1980 film In For Trouble with Peggy Mount. Very good. Very good. And how many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, for me, it's a grand total of two. Oh, fantastic work. Johnny Ball appeared in several episodes of the mid-70s game show Star Turn, hosted by... 
Bernard Cribbins, who was in the Winning Widows episode, The Vicar, a Medium and an Exorcist, alongside Peggy Matt. What are you getting yourself up for, anyway? Excellent work, excellent work. Uh-huh. So, there we are. Think of a number. I don't know about you, I'm thinking about some mm. commerce. What can I buy? Ooh, tell you what, have a listen. Susie's gonna sing about a different kind of chocolatey biscuit. Trio! Too loud. Trio! I said that was too I loud. I want a trio and I want one now. Yeah, well, we all do, man, but listen. Not one, not two, I mean, but three things in I it. I said chocolatey biscuit and a toffee taste too. Listen, could you just cool and it? Not one, <laughs> no three things are quite as good together as a trio. These potatoes are for the crisp makers. Ugh, here they won't come up. We're too good to be any old crisp. We wanna be <coughs> Miss Crisp. We wanna be <coughs> Miss Crisp. We're not budging until we make you see that if we were <coughs> Miss Crisp, if we were I'd better phone Smith's. We wanna be Smith's Smith's crisps. So good, every potato wants to be one. And we're back. Buy the things. Buy them things. Buy them things. Yep. Get them bought. Get them bought. Um, okay, actually, before we start, I'm gonna go swimming later. Will you do me a favour? Will you pass me my inflatable? What, this one? No, no, not the duck. Well, this one here? No, not the rubber ring. Well, that then. That's it. That's my boy. That's my boy. That's my boy. Yes, that's my boy. This is an ITV sitcom which ran from 1981 to 1986, over five series and 27 episodes. Produced by Yorkshire Television, it was written by Pam Valentine and Michael Ashton. Starred Molly Sugden as Ida Willis, who's an agency housekeeper. She takes a job in a London flat, only to find out it's owned by the son she gave up for adoption when he was an infant. That's classic dysfunctional sitcom territory right there. His name's Robert, she calls him Shane, which is his original name as a baby. This is series one, episode one. Bang right at the start. Originally broadcast in October 1981, sets the whole thing up, establishes Ida, Robert and his wife Angie, culminates in the revelation that they finally re-found one another. Cracking idea, I think, for a sitcom. But before I get into that... Yeah? Okay, so you mentioned the writers, Mike Ashton and Pam Valentine. That's Those correct. Those names ring a bell? They do. Remind me of why. Well, I'm going to cast your mind back to quite a few episodes ago. Uh, where we talked about you were, you're only young twice. Oh, of course. Another Yorkshire television production. Uh-huh, which they wrote. And we watched episode one, series one. This is correct. And, and do you remember the plot line where the, uh, Flora was trying to get the room of... Do you remember the name of the lady whose room she was as- aspiring to get? Of course, it was Mrs Willis, who'd uh, just left Paradise Lodge and uh, made her way to Penge. That's right. 
Mrs. Willis. Okay, so That's My Boy stars Molly Sugden. Yeah. Her character is Ida, as you said. Ida Willis. Ida Willis. Ida Willis. <laughs> Fantastic work. Now, it's also worth remembering that uh, mm-hmm. you're running on twice, had a long old run, but ended in August 1981. That's mm-hmm. My Boy started in October of that year. So while it's not a straight sort of baton handover, because it's a callback to the very start of their previous series, there's undeniably mm-hmm. an Easter egg continuation to that. I love that. Without a doubt. They, yeah. That's deliberate. That's got to be deliberate. Yeah, oh, absolutely this. Mike and Pam, hats off to you. Love it. I do like the thought that Mike and Pam sat around a table at Yorkshire Television. There'd be a couple of execs there, and they're going, um, you know, this is... Uh, you know, this is sort of like expanded universe material. It's sort of like mm. a spin-off from our from our other sitcom. And the exec's gone, are you going to write this up on later episodes? And they're going to, no. No, we're just going to wait until someone <laughs> notices in about, uh, looks at watch, in about sort of 42, 43 years' time, something like that. <laughs> so on to That's My Boy then. Um, as always, I always I, I usually mention the theme tune, and I'm going to again. Um this theme tune is just superb. Just superb. This is what this is what sitcom theme tune should be all about. With a terrible title sequence in this particular one. They abandoned the sort of live title sequence uh, that we have here, but this is just this is the pilot season 1 episode 1. Um after this they went for a, a blue card, a static blue card. Yeah. With literally a photocopied photograph yeah. of a block of flats uh-huh, uh-huh, print sticked uh-huh. onto a piece of blue card. And then the title's superimposed. Uh, doesn't matter. The theme music makes up for it. It's just glorious. The music in this is brought to us by Dennis Wilson, um, who, oddly enough, is exactly the same composer who did uh, You're Only Young Twice. Yeah, there's so something going on here. Yeah, they've, they've sort of carried that right over. Whereas last time it sounded a bit sort of step to and son, because he'd obviously he'd worked on that already. This is upbeat, it's kitsch. It's it's very sort of like referencing the whole um, the whole kind of almost like a kind of nineteen fifties Americana, but it's adapt yes. it's adapting for this era of like neon and shoulder pads. This is nineteen eighty one. This visually sets the aesthetic for the next ten years of sitcoms. It's amazing. Are we describing that's my boy's groundbreaking? Uh, I'm pioneering saying, even mm, pioneer well. Yeah, in a way. In a way. I bet we're the only two people on this planet who could do that, <laughs> apart from Mike and Pam. <laughs> ah, how to put this politely? It's pioneering what will become incredibly average over the next 10 years. It's setting the tone enough. for... You think about all like the 80s, present-day domestic sitcoms. Uh, you know, they've got mm. like Judy Dench, Jeffrey Palmer, that kind of, you know, the kind of thing yeah very sort of light and yeah. inoffensive ever decreasing circles this was setting the tone for all of that yeah i suppose yeah yeah okay for i mean even for a first episode there's quite a lot of heavy lifting going on with the script you get the feeling that mm-hmm. hasn't really been polished down that much um mm-hmm. and to make matters worse the cast are basically yelling at one one another here like it's been filmed in a theater with bad acoustics <laughs> Yeah, they are. Um, did you spot a familiar face in one of the first scenes when Ida first walks into the office of the Tempman Agency? You spot I, a familiar face? I didn't know. Go on. 
one of the guys behind the desk, the taller of the two guys, um, is lifelong friend of Terry and June. It's it's you know Beatty and Tarquin, they're they're mates. It's uh, okay. it's Tarquin. Um, he's the, he's the second Tarquin. There were two guys to play Tarquin. He's the second guy, um, and also the secretary who comes in, yeah, um, who is heavily berated by uh, by Ida, played by Molly Sutton. Uh, the outfit she's wearing. Um, do a bit of research on this, but that is practically an exact copy of the outfit that Felicity Kendall wears as Barbara Good in The Good Life in the episode where she pours gravy over our knockers. Yeah, yeah. No, you 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 go back and watch that. There you go. So while Molly Sugden is no stranger to risque scripts, having done mm. Are You Being Served for so many years, mm-hmm. there is, and again, this is my snobbery coming out. There is something quite ITV about this. For the mm-hmm. for the era, you wouldn't get mentions of waterbeds, vasectomies, and stretch marks at half seven in the evening on the BBC One, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. But, <laughs> but the the pedant in me is going to say, as my memory tells me, this was broadcast at half eight. Okay. Even so, come on, mate. It, you know, have a bit of class. No, you're right though. You're it's right. got to be noted. You know, sticking with the BBC link, as fantastic mm. as Sugden is, she's basically playing this part like Arkwright in Open Hours, but without the stutter. She's got a very pronounced Yorkshire accent. And all of yes. the exasperated eye rolls are right out of the Ronnie Barker playbook. It's <laughs> almost exactly the same character. She comes across as very brutal in this, which is unfortunate because as the series goes on, we find out she's far from that. But she's very she's not very likable when we first meet her, Ida Willis. Oh, by the way, when they start drinking brandy in the kitchen, my auntie had those cups and saucers. Fantastic work. I love it. I love the flat. I do love the flat. But did you think, even though you can't see out of the window... Mm. Did you think it felt because I'm? It's a sign of again. It's like it's good set design when I'm watching something like this and I start imagining the layout of the flat. It feels very mm. organic to me. It doesn't. Yeah, you know, it doesn't feel artificial. It doesn't feel as artificial as an ITV sitcom should somehow. Right. Um, okay. I can tell you disagree, and you're like, nope. This was very clearly shot at Teddington. I can picture it yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> There's, it's it's the lighting and the lighting just it's it's flat to the oh, yeah lighting. yeah, yeah it, no, fair enough yeah I I know it's a studio but okay. um but I like that though but I prefer that I I hate location recording yes well again usually usually they'll do that for like an exterior shot mm-hmm. uh, and that's in this it's absolutely minimal it's basically the opening titles is exterior and that's it everything else is all on stage so yeah that's good. So we build up to the premise of the, the the whole episode builds up to the 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 excitement of the fact that we discover Ida's big secret. Um, I think it's quite clever, you know. This I think it's a decent idea. I mean, fair play to them for taking the best part of half an hour to come to explaining the title. Because mm-hmm. exactly, because yeah. up until that point, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just they, they keep us guessing for for twenty minutes at least. Uh-huh. I certainly, I didn't mind how uh, theatrical it was when it did happen. Mm-hmm. Again, they're, you know, they're sitting three feet apart, less than that, at a kitchen table, neck and brandy out of teacups, and they're bellowing mm-hmm. like they're on opposite sides of the pub. 
Um, but when it gets down to the actual theatrics of pulling out exactly the same photo, and then, oh no, you've got the wrong photo, and then swapping them over, I'm like, this should feel worse than it is, but I kind of like it. It's fine. Yeah. Final thoughts. It's it's an enjoyable romp. Um, I, it's another show that I have nothing but fond memories of. And, okay. and f- in future episodes, uh, there, there's, there, there's some good laughs. And I distinctly remember one particular episode. And I remember laughing out loud to it as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old. Right. And that was the point where Molly Sugden said the word titties. And I remember <laughs> laughing out loud to, at this. She actually did. Um, producer Ken, producer Ken, please find a clip of that and drop it in now, please. Thank you, please, thank you. Yeah, go on, Ken, you can do it. Oh, <laughs> Titi. See, told you. <laughs> told you. Where else are you going to hear that? That's I t- fantastic. I refer to my earlier yeah. point. That wouldn't have happened on the BBC, mate. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's tremendous. Love it. Absolute filth. Yep. Get that on a T-shirt. Oh, dear. So, yeah, um, I just... Nothing but warm memories about That's My Boy. It ran for five seasons. Sorry, series. And harmless, non-cynical fun. So, pegs on the line. For me, a strong eight. A strong... Eight? Really eight? Okay. Um... Eight. A controversial eight. I'm not. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was functional. It's kind of charming. I think it's got no real spark other than Molly Sugden. I think without her, it'd be nothing. It'd just be bland. And she could play that well, role in anything. Um, she could. She just plays herself, really. But can I argue something? Okay, at the, at the end of this episode, we get a cliffhanger. And yes. the result of that cliffhanger in the second episode is another character who comes in who gives it an extra spark, I think. Okay, fair enough. Because from, I mean, yeah, for the episode we've watched, uh, notwithstanding the extras at the start, it's basically a cast of three people. It plays very much like mm-hmm. a stage play. Yeah. And, and that's great, but I'll tell you what, it's no comeback, Mrs. Noah, that's for sure. Six out of nine. There you go. That's there fair. We go. That's fair play. That's fair play. And as usual, how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? This week, I can do it in one. Oh, oh, how are then? Come on. This episode features Michael Siegel, who appears as two characters in separate episodes of You're Only Young Twice with Peggy Mount. Well, who do you think's bringing him in, Tom Jones? Brilliant. Brilliant. And we mentioned that earlier as well. Fantastic. How about yourself, sir? Right. How many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? One as well. Here we go. Come on, then. That's my boy, stars Molly Sugden, of course, who was in 1978's Golden Gala from the London Palladium, along with Peggy Mack. You're never going on your Honda like that. Excellent work. Fantastic stuff. We have never been so close to the mountain, apart from when we were on the mountain. (laughs) But yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's my boy brings us to the end of another Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Uh, Think of a number was first. Um, Yeah, we'll wrap it up. That's it 
for another episode. Over to you, Blackout, for the socials. Yes, thanks once again for stopping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes for this episode. And it's as easy as that. So, until the next time... Keep Megan. The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Eichel Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit of music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com.